Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I'm honored every week that you would connect with me to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, you know that we're all about helping you break free from old mindsets, mental constructs, and paradigms. If you're new to this podcast, I surely hope and uh, wish that you would get much more than you expect, that you too would see the benefits of listening to this podcast on a week-to-week basis. The goal is to see you get to that point B in your life and to see God's promises fulfilled in you and through you, that you too would become a world changer, someone who goes out and adds value to other people. Let me tell you that there is much more out there for you than you can actually see. And the goal is to help you enlarge your vision, increase your expectation, and empower you to press on to what God has in store for you. (laughs) For those of you who don't know me that well, let me tell you that I have been an educator for a combined 28 years, uh, both in Mexico and the United States, led educational institutions in both countries. I've taught from elementary all the way through uh, college-level English My background is in clinical psychology, my master's is in counseling and life coaching, and I am currently a doctoral candidate with a specialty in traumatology at Liberty University. One of the questions that I am asked by parents oftentimes is, what are the the greatest forces that mold and shape the minds of children. And of course, we all know that education is perhaps the strongest one, the greatest influence, simply because children will spend an average of eight hours a day with an educator in a classroom exposed or exposing his or her mind to the philosophies and worldview of that particular individual. Right or wrong, good or bad, that's what the child will learn. And believe it or not, sometimes the the teacher's opinion and the teacher's so-called expertise weighs more heavily on the mind of a child than that of his or her own parents. And so, education is by far the greatest uh, influence on the molding and shaping of the mind of a child. And second in line would be social media. And you're probably thinking, well, you know, children don't engage in social media until later in their adolescence. And I would beg to differ because our children are exposed to it on a daily basis. You would have to be a hermit living in a cave uh, to to not expose your children to social media. And so um, they are exposed to it directly or indirectly, or you as a parent are exposed to social media, and that molds and shapes your opinions, and your opinions affect your children. And so education and social media are huge right now. And I want to say that there is a war for the minds of our children. Before I get into the meat and potatoes of this message, let me just preface by saying this. This is not a political rant. This has nothing to do with politics, but I will say this, that I'm a huge proponent of protecting the minds of our children. They are not the next generation. They are the generation. And we can either form or deform their minds. And let me tell you, repetition of certain ideas and philosophies will mold and shape them no matter, no matter if they are the truth or they are a lie. 
Keep in mind that the subconscious mind does not understand, especially in, a, in the mind of a child, the subconscious mind has no filter. Whatever you repeat over time to that young mind will become their reality, whether it's true or it's false. It even happens to us as adults if we're not quick to realize that what we're hearing, what we're being fed is a total and utter lie. Let me also say this. Some of you know that I'm a pastor. I'm a, uh, I'm a minister of the gospel. I am saved by grace through faith. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. Everything in my life revolves around Him. I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, and I can just go on and on and on. So, teaching children a biblical worldview, in other words, teaching them a biblical frame of reference through which, to, through which they see the world is extremely important to me. And so, I cannot be a proponent, and, and, and if you are in the public school system, I love you, and I respect you as well, but I just can't align myself with the curriculum and the philosophies that are being taught within the public school system. We recently learned that the government is planning on, you know, suggesting, or they have suggested that K through 12 is just not cutting it. In other words, that it's not preparing the individual for the workforce, that it's not preparing the individual for life. And so they want to add an extra four years. Yeah, I didn't know, I don't know if you know about this, but they're wanting to add two years to the bottom and two years to the top. In other words, instead of having a child start school in kindergarten, making kindergarten mandatory, they want to make K-3 mandatory. So a child would have to go to school starting at three years of age, unless of course you're homeschooling them or they are attending another school, a, a, a Christian school or a private school, a Montessori school, a charter school. They would have to attend public school K-3, K-4 mandatory, and then go on into kindergarten go all the way through 12th grade, and then add another couple of years to that, making it 13th and 14th grade, which those two years would be almost like a community college type setting that would prepare children who would not go off to college, who are not cut for college apparently, that they would that they would go into the workforce with one with with some kind of uh, some kind of a skill. Now, let me say this. The most formative years in a child's life, you know, regarding their mind, the, the formation of their worldview, the most formative years are from zero, this is from birth, all the way through 11, 12 years of age. This is when they are uh, establishing their worldview. They are establishing their values and their belief system. And so the Word of God says that we are to guard our hearts. The Bible says in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. Listen, it determines the course of your life. How do you guard your heart? Well, the mind is the gateway to the heart. The ears and the eyes are the gateway to the mind. And so how on earth can you guard the heart of your child when they are exposed to a philosophy for so many hours a day? Eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours, and then they come home and spend time with you for maybe what, two and a half hours at the most? Quality time, maybe an hour? And, and you really don't talk about, you know, biblical worldview. You don't talk about the philosophies. You don't rebuke some of the things that they have learned or negate some of the things that they have learned or reteach some of the things that they have learned. You just allow it to sink into their minds, to mold and to shape and to form the person that they are becoming. And that is a scary thing to think about. You may not notice anything at the beginning, 
But let me tell you that the repetition of ideas over time will solidify in the mind of a child and eventually it will sprout and bear fruit just like a tree. Let me use this analogy just to kind of explain what this looks like. And this is a, this is an analogy that I've used many times at conferences to explain the power of repetition. And so understand this, a Chinese bamboo tree, yes, not just a bamboo tree, but a Chinese bamboo tree, once it's planted, once the seed is planted, the seed is tiny, maybe about half an inch. It's an elongated type of seed. And the gardener who plants it has to be a very patient one. See, the Chinese bamboo tree doesn't sprout right away like most plants, most vegetation. The Chinese bamboo tree, once it's planted, it needs to be cultivated on a daily basis, fertilized, watered, fertilized, watered, fertilized, watered over time. Repeat, repeat, repeat this cycle. And it takes five years Listen, it takes five years for that Chinese bamboo tree to break the ground after it sprouts. Five years. And then after five years, it only takes about eight weeks for the Chinese bamboo tree to grow about 80 feet. That is the height of a seven-story building. Let me repeat that again. I don't know if you caught on. After it sprouts, after it breaks the ground, after five years... The gardener has been waiting for this miraculous moment. Once it breaks the ground, it sprouts. It only takes eight weeks, an average of eight weeks, to grow 80 feet. Okay, keep this in mind. Those of you who are math geniuses, you've already figured this out. Those of you who are math uh, mathematically challenged, you're probably thinking, okay, how fast is that? Well, that's at the rate of about close to an inch, almost like 0.9 of an inch per hour for eight weeks. Yes, it's crazy. So once it sprouts, you turn around and 12 hours later, it's the height of a ruler. And so that's how fast it grows. And it becomes this tall, this tall edifice, this, this tall structure, this very strong tree, a very, a very thin one, but very tall one. And so the question has always been, did it actually take the Chinese bamboo tree five years to grow? Did it start growing on the fifth year? And the answer is absolutely not. You see, what was happening was something that you could not or no one could see with the human eye because it was happening underground. What was happening was that the Chinese bamboo tree was growing a very intricate, very deep foundation, a root system that grew deep and wide, deep and wide so that it could have the power, the strength, the sustainability to grow such a tall structure. That's the life of a bamboo tree. Now, how does this compare, or what does this have to do with a child? Well, the seed that is planted, that seed of philosophy, the seed of worldview is planted. You may not see anything. You may not hear your child talk about those things over time. Maybe it won't happen on the fifth year. Maybe it won't happen on the tenth year. But eventually... What they have learned, that seed that has been planted within the mind will eventually break the ground and sprout and turn into this edifice, this construct, this mental construct, this paradigm that will grow in their minds, a mindset that, that will grow so strong that it will be almost impossible 
not impossible, but I said almost impossible, to tear down and to rebuild. Years ago, I had a young man attend the school that I'm honored to uh, to lead as the head of school. He came from a, a strong uh, Bible-believing family. They would go to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. They would pray at their mealtime. They would occasionally have devotional time together as a family, and they understood the power of Christian education. And so they enrolled their child in uh, in our school a little late. He uh, he was with us only for a short period of time, just a few years. And so he did not get the foundational years uh, worth of Christian education. And so he came to our school, was noticeably impacted. He had a, a gift and a talent for music. He loved, you know, playing the guitar. He was definitely very uh, skilled at it. And uh, he helped. Uh, you know, he helped lead at times. He helped lead the praise and worship band at our school. However, this young man, after graduating from our program, he went on to high school. And during that summer transition, when he went from middle school to high school, he was going to the public school system. But in that time period, he was enrolled in a music program. He would meet every other day with a classic guitar uh teacher who would teach him the fine art of, you know, classic guitar. And so he would meet with this person, as I said, you know, three, sometimes even four times a week in a small chamber where he would teach him uh, the history of classic guitar and the technique. And so as he did this, this teacher would also share some of his philosophies, some of his worldviews. Now, this teacher was an atheist. He was an atheist, not an agnostic. He didn't believe in a higher power. He didn't believe in anything at all. And he actually, he uh, denounced God many times. Now, this young man who was already in his teen years was still in a moldable phase in his life. And so, after attending that summer, he became so enamored with the teacher's instruction that he continued for the next year and a half to receive instruction. Well, it only took a year and a half for this young man to denounce God's existence and to completely turn his back on everything that he had learned, not only through Christian education, but also through the church and his family. To this day, that young man, unfortunately, is a self-declared atheist. I recently attended a biblical worldview conference at the Museum of the Bible in D.C., and I was fortunate enough to sit in a group of about 20 and under the instruction of the George Barna from the Barna Group. Some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, This professor is very well known, and he has done extensive research over many decades. Now, worldview, according to Barna, is developed between the ages of 18 months and 13 years. He says, by the time a teenager is 13 or 14, it's done. It's over. He says, it may be refined a bit through the teen years, but by one's 20s, not only is worldview solid, But most people become an evangelist for their view, whatever it is. So, worldview is the philosophy that creates our very culture. If we only have 13 years to form the next generation, it's imperative that we know how it happens. 
So Byrna says that there are three dominant influencers when it comes to shaping worldview. He says the first one, of course, is uh, parents. Parents are the primary shapers. While not surprising, this is quite terrifying. (laughs) Moms and dads clearly have the most power when it comes to shaping uh, the ideas, morals, and faith and views of a child and how how they perceive the world and how they should operate. And, and Barna says that uh, children are, of course, our greatest legacy, and I'm in complete agreement with that, complete agreement. They are our most valuable contribution to the world. The best gift we can give our kids is to help them to think biblically. But this will not happen by chance. <laughs> My father often told us growing up, he said, you know, the greatest inheritance I can leave you is not a financial one, but it's teaching you how to live life, and which is so true. Barna says uh, that 4% of millennials have a biblical worldview, only 4%. Therefore, 4% or fewer of the next generation will have a biblical worldview, of course, because their parents won't have it. This statistic is a strong call, of course, to the church to walk alongside young parents and equip them to equip their kids. Young parents need friends and leaders who are a season ahead to encourage them in the instruction of their children. And it seems that perhaps many church programs need to be turned upside down. Theological training is typically reserved only for the adults, but according to these statistics, we need to be imparting it to the children and fast. It needs to happen like now. And that's why at, at, at our school, you know, uh, biblical worldview instruction is so key. It's, it's so important. We don't, we don't teach Bible like you would at a Bible, Bible uh, Sunday school. We teach it, we teach it in depth, and we teach biblical worldview, you know, from the tiniest to the oldest. Now, the second dominant influencer when it comes to shaping worldview is the media. As I mentioned earlier, Barna says that kids are exposed to an average of 16,000 hours of media by the time they graduate from high school. That's almost two years, by the way. Barna says media is powerful because visual images lodge themselves in our kids' hearts forever. Forever. All you have to do, come on, is is give an image more than five seconds for it to sink into your mind. And as you think about it repeatedly, it will sink into your heart. You see the subtle messages on the screen subversively shape their worldview. I agree, you know, with Barna when he says that parents must monitor media, mediate its messages, and minimize it. The three M's. Monitor, mediate, and minimize. And the final dominant factor in shaping worldview, according to Barna, is the law of the land. If the government says it's allowable, young hearts view it as acceptable. And if it's illegal, then the opposite is true. Laws matter in the shaping of the next generation's ideas of right or wrong. For Christians, this is a clear call to civic engagement. And as it turns out, it seems like you can now legislate morality without a moral compass. (laughs) The moral compass that used to be somewhat of a guiding post for our nation is now completely lost. The Bible says that in the last days, good will be called evil, and evil will be called good. And if you've been alive and and breathing for these past few months, you've probably seen a complete shift in our culture. You have seen the things that are being promoted, exalted, and magnified, and the things that are now being demoted and crushed. And it is Sad, to say the least.
Our traditional conservative values are under attack. People of faith are being shamed and Christian principles and family values are being systematically phased out. Uh, Immorality has been ushered in and chipped away at our collective conscious. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves with a litany of problems, the likes of which we've never seen before. You see, the Despite the fact that our nation was built on Judeo-Christian principles and America's greatest accomplishments were achieved during an era when our commitment to faith was at its strongest, we unfortunately continue to submit to a certain plot that is eroding the moral fiber of our society. A friend of mine, Dr. Glenn Schultz, who is the uh, one of the leading authorities when it comes to the teaching of biblical worldview, he said... To survive in a secular, anti-Christian culture, every Christian must be intentional and grow in knowledge of God and the truth. He goes on to say that in order to grow in knowledge of God and the truth, there are three things that the believer must do. Such actions must be intentional and continual, consistent. They're not optional, especially when it comes to how we educate the future generations. Number one, we must... Study God's Word. Study God's Word. The only way to know God in truth is to study God's Word. This is because God reveals Himself through the pages of the Holy Scripture. Studying God's Word is different from merely reading it from time to time. The original meaning of the word study carries with it the connotation of either following or pursuing something. It means that one is seeking something and therefore searches for it. Today, God's people need to pursue to seek, to follow His Word and search for the truth like never before in our country's history. Number two is that we must obey God's Word. It is one thing to study God's Word. It is something totally different to obey it. Just knowing the truth is not sufficient to surviving the challenges before us today. We must do the Word. And number three, we must teach God's Word. This is where the rubber hits the road, my friend. It is this action where Christians have failed miserably over the past several decades. You see, the home, the church, and school must be, must be united in teaching God's Word to the next generation. This will require the church to teach and train parents about their God-given responsibility to biblically, biblically educate their children. Christian schools must also help train parents in this very important task. Then the home, church, and school must unite to teach God's Word to future generations. Over the past several decades, we have turned our children over to the state to educate them. Since the state is secular, it has indoctrinated several generations of young people in its religion of secular humanism. It is time to wake up and reclaim the minds of our children. Many of you have simply placed their minds in a captive state to be educated, trained up, and they're not being trained up as the scripture says, train them up in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. The word of God refers to training them up in the way that they should go, not in the way that you think they should go or the government thinks they should go. It is in the way that God has already pre-designed, pre-planned for them to go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. 
This is part one of a short series that uh, that I will be presenting over the next few weeks on the war for the minds of children of this next generation. So make sure to connect. I hope that you find value in this series. As I mentioned earlier, I am very passionate about children and their minds. Uh, I'm very passionate because I know that uh, they are the ones to lead the next generation. They are the ones to lead our country. Uh, they are the next parents. And if we don't do something about this now, then we will be in a state of complete and utter demise. Oh, well, all right, guys, I will see you next week. Would you please take a few minutes to rate this episode? If you would, give us a five-star rating. Leave a positive comment. Your comments, uh, your feedback are very, very important to me. They uh, fuel my passion. They fuel the flame, my desire to continue doing this, to provide you with uh, content that is profitable content that will help you grow, that will help you be a greater influence in your family's life, in other people's lives. So uh, once again, thank you for stopping by, for listening in, for growing together with other people, and for having a deep, deep desire to make a difference in this world. You guys are appreciated and loved, and uh, I will see you next week. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and may His face shine upon you. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye-bye.